Good morning. We have lots of snow on the ground here. We're on day 49, numbers 28 to 30 in Psalm 49. Remember, if you're listening to the podcast, if you have questions or comments about some of the readings or even some of the things in this episode, I've created a page at allenwood.church. If you go there and hit the podcast tab, you can find all three of the different podcasts, the Sunday Sermons, this one links to here, and then also a Christian minimalism podcast that I'm kind of working through, just a personal journey that I'm on. Um, And then below those things, there is a form that you can submit with any of your questions, comments, uh, just to kind of engage a little bit more. But I wanted to talk today out of Numbers 28 to 30. Um, I did receive a message a couple of days ago, and I wanted to go back and address it a little bit because I think it comes up here as well over the past two or three readings. Um, You know, there are parts of what we are reading in the Old Testament that it's a part of the reason as to why I don't encourage people to do the fire hydrant, you know, uh, binge reading of the Bible. <laughs> it's so funny, right? We, we've created these terms in our culture. You kind of, you binge watch episodes and you binge watch movies and you, you know, there's this, there's this kind of almost adage that implies that it's a good thing to watch a whole bunch of one thing all in one shot. Um, and that might be good for entertainment, but I don't know about you, but any time that I try to cram a whole bunch of stuff, I can regurgitate it, but a couple of days later, I couldn't tell you half of what I was learning or reading or whatever it might've been. And so I always want to encourage you just know, even I especially like in the past couple of weeks, past couple of days, I mean, even I kind of look at some of the stuff and I go, wait a minute, God, you seem like this legalistic, gory, emotionally unstable, um, you know, disappointed God. And the relationship that it looks like that he has with Israel just seems to be haphazard in many ways. And I even begin to feel that way sometimes. And what always helps me to reground me again is to remember two things. Number one, we're going to spend all of eternity getting to know the depth of our God. That means he's, he's unsearchable. Like we'll never be able to get to the end of who God is. So just be okay with the fact that there are places in the character of God, even in when we're reading the word, that there's a part of this that's supposed to be mysterious. If we could figure out everything about him, like we would read a textbook and take a report on, um, this would be a, a no-brainer, right? But the the whole point of the historical account that we have and you know, Jesus coming and bringing us the gospel is God's desire for restoration of his creation that he didn't create as robots, but he created with free will to love him as much as he loves them. And so there's this process of, of redeeming and sanctifying and cleansing and, and, and working out relationship wise that a large part of it is going to be mystery, right? If there weren't mystery there, then we wouldn't be asking the question. So I always love that when you don't know or you begin to feel a certain way, turn to wonder. It is always okay to ask God, 
God, why in the world does it seem like you want 8 million offerings a day? Like, how are these people supposed to even do anything? And and it seems like that. I mean, today's reading is one of those readings where it's like, really, how many times am I going to say on the seventh day, present seven bulls, two rams, and 14 lambs in the first year without blemish, and their grain offering, and their drink offering, their offerings for the bulls and the rams. And then you do, you know, it, it's like, it just goes on and on and on. And it's like, Lord, do you want us to do anything else? Do you just want us to bring you offering all day long? And then I thought, actually, he does, doesn't he? Aren't we always to present ourselves as a living sacrifice? Kind of interesting, right? Kind of stopped me there because I'm thinking, what is this, Lord? Like, really? This is the kind of... And yeah, it is actually. Um, and I, I want to talk a little bit more about that. But but I'm, So I don't want to leave that point. I want to encourage you, turn to wonder. It's okay to peer into the mysteries of God. That's a part of the process of getting to know someone. And, and he begs for us to do that. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And it's not a textbook, oh, why do you do this? Oh, here's why I do it. That's not a relationship. That, that, is, not, that is not a healthy relationship. And I know sometimes we have relationships that are like that. But the fact of the matter is that if you search deep inside of yourself, you really long for someone who wants to get to know you for who you really are, that like what makes you tick, but not just what makes you tick, but why does it make you tick? Like, why do you delight in things that you, that you delight in? Why do you hurt the way that you hurt around certain scenarios or when you look at or think about certain things? Why do you, that's a part of the process that God wants to invite us into. And it is especially prevalent in times like the readings that we're doing right now that I want to encourage you. It is good to turn to wonder God wants you to come before him. You already stand naked before him. He knows your thoughts. If there's anything we've been learning in the gospel accounts, Jesus Jesus knows what's going on in your heart. You don't have to say a single word. And so instead of kind of trying to hide that and pretending like, oh, I'll just get through it, just be honest. God, I don't understand this stuff. Like, I, what am I supposed to do with it? And then what I do is we're already only stripping it down to 20 minutes, but even in that 20 minutes, right, there were there were seven different feasts that God just broke down very specific sacrificial requirements and the ways in which those sacrifices came. And so just take one of those feasts, and even that feast has all these sacrifices within it. Maybe you take one of the sacrifices, like what, what was the importance, uh, what was the difference between a bull and a ram offering? Why was the bull there? Why was the ram there, right? You can do something even as simple as that. Just strip it down to one thing to wonder about, to think about, and then let the, let the rest be where they are for another day, another time, another season. You don't, you don't jump into a relationship and attempt and set these goals to know everything about the person in the first week of knowing them. A part of the journey and the blessing of relationship is that we spend time and we walk through aspects of life with the, the journey itself is the blessing, not the actual getting to know. It's the process of getting to know that ultimately I wanted to kind of draw your attention to. Now I'm going to answer a question that was asked of me uh, just about a little while back. And I know it was back before, but it was in uh, Numbers 11 when the people are complaining because they don't have any meat. And, you know, there's this whole process of stuff that goes on. 
And then the Lord sends the quail. When a wind went out from the Lord and it brought quail from the sea and let them left them fluttering near the camp about a day's journey on the side and about a day's journey on the other side all around the camp and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. And the people stayed up all that day, all night, and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. And the question was, why does God provide for their needs? Ah, so that's the first question. It wasn't a need. The people didn't need meat. They would have been completely capable of surviving simply on the manna. They wanted meat. And so why did God give them what they wanted and then send a plague? And I think that one of the most important things we have to realize is that there's almost twofold in here. One, the Lord is using those that were struck by the plague as an example. And the text continues a little bit further for us, though. Um, It also says, after this, the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of that place Kibroth. Hatava. I don't know. I'm, I'm pronouncing. I'm probably butchering half of the things that I'm reading when I'm reading these things, because there they buried the people who had yielded to craving. So there's something else going on in the hearts of those that were struck by the plague when they did receive this meat. And the text, again, the Hebrew. I'm not sure. I haven't. I haven't really done much research, and I and I, and I probably could, but um, I can promise you that it has something to do about with with this idea that this yielding to craving is why God struck those that he did. And then on the other side of it, he didn't strike all of them, but he struck those who yielded to craving as an example, right? So God did still give some of those what they wanted. And then when they got what they wanted, some of them took it even further and they yielded to craving. Now, the closest thing I can relate that to is probably gluttony in the New Testament. Um, So anyway, in light of what I just shared and all of those things that I was talking about, I want to take the Feast of Tabernacles and I'll just give you a little bit of what I found about the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, And then also, well, there's a couple here. Maybe we'll we'll, we'll grab a couple of them. I love the Feast of Trumpets. You know, there's a lot of talk about about trumpets these days. (laughs) Um, Of course, in 1 Thessalonians, this is a part of we're waiting for the sound of the trumpet. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There's always this calling forth. The Feast of Trumpets was a period of time of God using the sound of the trumpet to commend, to, to, to begin and end certain periods. So the Feast of Trumpets was commanded to be held on the first day of the seventh month and was to be a day of trumpet blast. It was to commemorate the end of the agricultural festival year. The trumpet blasts were meant to signal to Israel that they were entering a sacred season. The agricultural year was coming to a close. There was to be a reckoning with the sins of the people on the Day of Atonement. The Feast of Trumpets signifies Christ's second coming now. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, the voice and the the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. And of course, the sounding of the trumpet also 
indicates the pouring out of God's wrath on the earth in the book of Revelation. So we'll see the trumpets that are sounded in the book of Revelation. And then after the trumpets come the wrath of God in different phases being poured out. Um, certainly these feasts, so th this is important to know, all of the feasts that we're learning about, that God is giving explicit detail to Moses for the people of Israel to do and to behave in, all point to a future feast, a future period of time that the feast itself represents. So the feast, in a way, is a shadow of what is to come. So there's lots of things that are wrapped up inside of these feasts that we're given. And then, of course, the sacrifices in the feast I wanted to, I wanted to kind of pin on today after a minute. So that's the Feast of Trumpets. The Day of, of Atonement occurs 10 days after the Feast of Trumpets. And the Day of Atonement was the day that the high priest went into the Holy of Holies each year. He made an offering for the sins of Israel. It kind of cleansed the Holy of Holies. The Feast is symbolic of the time when God will again turn his attention back to the nation of Israel after the full number of the Gentiles has come in and all of Israel will be saved. That's Romans 11, 25 to 26. And that Jewish remnant that survives the Great Tribulation will recognize Christ as their Messiah as God releases them from their spiritual blindness uh, that they come into faith of Christ. So that's what's happening right now. We're living in the church age. Um, the There is the impression that um, Israel doesn't recognize Christ as their Messiah, but that's because God has has given them blindness to not see so that we as Gentiles are able to be brought in, but he's not done with the people of Israel. And then the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. This is what we talked about before, right? I did an episode on the, on the Booth Feast, I think, during this period of time. But seven days the Israelites presented offerings to the Lord, which time they lived in the huts made from palm branches. And living in those booths recalled the sojourn of the Israelites prior to their taking the land of Canaan. So again, my point is each of these things do mean something. We're getting it in, even in our 20 minutes, we're getting a fire hydrant thrown at us, right? Opened up full, full blast right in our mouths. <laughs> and so it's okay to wonder and just continue to wonder. I want to, maybe that's the title of the episode is keep wondering, keep questioning. Um, that's a part of the process of getting to know someone. Ultimately, we're asking God, you have the Holy Spirit and you're not going to understand all of these things in the places that they are, but he's given these things for us. So um, turn to wonder and don't just walk away, but turn to wonder and then kind of simplify, strip down and for the day, spend three minutes and just do a little bit of research. Um, the, the last part that I wanted to say that I briefly mentioned was this idea of a sweet smelling aroma. This always puzzles me because when we, at least for me, I will speak for myself. We always do I statements, right? Um, for me, when I hear sweet smelling aroma, I think, you know, I have these, uh, I have these, um, essential oil blends, you know, and they, they, I don't know. I just love the way some of them smell. I'm, I'm a big smell person. I love smelling the ocean. Whenever we would uh, visit on our family vacation, I was out, we lived in Pennsylvania and every year we would go to Ocean City. And every time we got close to the bridge, we rolled the windows down and that smell that, you know, to a lot of us here, that smells like swampy marsh. I love that smell. It brings back memories. There's something about it that awakens my senses and I wanted, I wanted to kind of point to the fact that when, when the Old Testament is talking about a sweet-smelling aroma, 
you have to realize that it's a sweet-smelling aroma to God, but I highly doubt that it actually was something that smelled sweet. Have you ever have you ever smelled burnt hair? Maybe it was a birthday party and somebody was blowing out candles and and some of their hair, you know, got got burnt or you know, you kind of been around that. That is a nasty smell. And you have to realize all of these sacrifices that are being made day after day, these animals are being slain and then thrown onto this altar that is burning with their hair, with their flesh. It's not like somebody stripped this down, you know, cleaned everything off. It's just the meat of the animal and they're putting some nice, you know, spices on the thing. No, this is, they're throwing the whole animal on as an offering. There is no way that it is to, to all intensive purposes in, in our minds or in our thoughts, something that would actually smell like a sweet aroma. But it's a sweet aroma to God because the entire offering is being laid down. And we have a lot to learn there, some, some different things to think about, right? The Day of Atonement, when all of these offerings, this sweet-smelling aroma was going up before the Lord, the Day of Atonement was intended to create sadness in the people because of their sin. It was a serious festival to come into. It was a serious reminder of what had to happen in order for them to even continue to exist and to be alive because their sin had to be atoned for. And then the offerings at the Feast of the Tabernacles, the, the Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration of God's provision. So when we see on the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You should do no customary work and you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. You'll present a burnt offering and an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord. 13 young bulls, two rams, 14 lambs in their first year. They will be without blemish. Then he goes on. There's all these grain offerings. And the second day, they do even more rams and more bulls. And the third day, all the way through seven days, and the reason that they do so many and why God is requiring so many is because the number represented the amount that God had blessed them the year before. So the Feast of Tabernacle was a feast celebrating the provision of God. And so it makes sense that if God is provided in great numbers, there would be more sacrifices because of the abundance of which God had provided above and beyond. So just little things like that I, I wanted to, you know, kind of point out to you. And that, that sweet-smelling aroma not being so sweet is almost, well, for me, I liken it to the call for me to lay my life down as a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. We <laughs> Think about this. If we tie sweet-smelling aroma to what we would liken to a perfume that we like to smell like or a body wash or a soap that is something that we just are drawn to, right? And then we read, present yourself, present your whole body as a sweet smelling, as an offering, a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. What do we think of? We, th we think it's this nice, neat, clean, here I am, Jesus, I'm just yours, and we clean ourselves up, and we smell good, and we're nice, and we're gentle, and the reality is that a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord was a dirty, messy, stinky thing. When you lay your life down, when you present your flesh on the altar, 
when you die to yourself. It's a sweet-smelling aroma because the Lord desires to see us separated from our flesh and from our sin. But it's not a sweet-smelling aroma because it's easy and it's nice and it sounds good and it feels good. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Now, the blessing that comes from laying our lives down as a sweet-smelling aroma is something else to be said. But I thought this was something that was uh, would be really good to think through and to kind of connect with you there. Uh, one more of those kind of misnomers, I guess, right? If we if we read a sweet smelling aroma and we don't realize that that same sweet smelling aroma that's being pointed back to from the New Testament to where we are here, where God's saying all these offerings are a sweet smelling aroma to, to me, and we take it out of the context of of what we talked about before. If we were there. And we literally watched these priests, we, we handed over these animals and we watched the priests in, a, in an assembly line, you know, the blood that is pouring out and the offering of the smoke and the smell that's coming out around it, right? It is, in, it is, it is just an unavoidable, it's an unavoidable experience. It's not in a nice, easy one where they're going in and these animals are getting their, their, you know, main groomed and their hooves cut and they're, you know, they're putting little bows on the forefront of their head. They're being slaughtered. Their lives are being taken in atonement for, in a replace of the lives of the people. They're being sacrificed. And then we come into the New Testament and we're called to bring our entire life as a sacrifice, that does not mean that it's a fluffy, light, smelling good thing. Laying our life down as a sacrifice to the Lord was never, we, we interpreted that on our own front. We put our own, you know, oh, isn't it supposed to be easy? And, and, and isn't there just, you know, this abundant joy? Yes, joy is separate from what the process looks like, right? There is still joy in the camp because they realize that God is God's wrath is being satisfied on these animals, not on themselves. And therefore, because of that satisfaction, God is able to dwell among his people. There's joy there, but it's joy in the, mat, in the midst of a slaughterhouse. I mean, you, you have to, right? I mean, there, there's a way where it smells and it stinks and it's gory and it's hard to even think about and think through. And yet in the same breath, when you realize that if it weren't the case, the presence of God would not be in their midst. But because it does exist, the presence of God dwells mightily. There's joy in the midst of suffering and death. Hard, hard, hard realities, but very true ones. He who attempts to preserve his life will lose it, and he who loses his life will gain it. The call forth to present ourselves as a living sacrifice 
is not intended to be easy, but the fruit of it is a promised blessing. Something to think about. I'll leave you with it. It's already been a little bit of a longer episode. I didn't didn't do one yesterday. Hope I'm kind of tying a little bit of these things together for you. Remember, I would love for you, love for you to go over to allenwood.church, hit the podcast page, and then also in the show notes, I'm going to put a link to it. But it's very simple to do on the website. We're going to we're gonna not do the audio thing. I know many of you have probably wanted to send in your questions and stuff, and it just was a little bit too confusing. Just simply go to allenwood.church, hit the podcast. There's a form there. Submit that thing. I will get it as soon as it gets sent through, and I would love to address it as we kind of continue working through a lot of these difficult, you know, to be honest, these are some of the things that I would try to skip over if I were reading on my own. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to be honest, right? And you probably would too. The, the fifth time that you heard on the eighth day, you shall have a sacred assembly. You shall do no customary work. You shall present a burnt offering and an offering made by fire and a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. It's like, how many times do I need to hear this over and over again? And that's really the point. We probably do need to hear it over and over again, don't we? <laughs> the Lord is good to us. I hope and pray that you have a blessed day today. I know some of you are out plowing snow. I know some of you are stuck in watching the snow from your window. Wherever you are today, remember God does not dwell in buildings. He dwells in you and he's right there with you. So simply turn your attention to him. Be present with him. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you regardless of what you're doing or where you find yourself today. And Lord willing, you'll join me again tomorrow and uh, hopefully I'll get some of this technology stuff situated. I'll get you back bright and early in the morning. God bless you.